0: Welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We have gone on an epic journey through the symbolism of the 78 cards of the tarot deck, and in this season, we are applying esoteric filters to the deck, examining it through a variety of astrological, cabalistic, numeric, and other lenses. For this week's show, we're starting in on a new series. And this one will come to you in 10 parts because, literally, numbers 1 through 10. This will allow us to look at the many roles that number plays in tarot, whether in the 1 through 10 numeric minors, or in the numbered major arcana, or even in the court cards, which, believe it or not, also each have number correspondences. Focusing on number will also allow us to have a closer look at the ten sephirot of the Tree of Life, which is good because Kabbalah is probably one of the more challenging esoteric subjects we tackle on this podcast. And we could all use a bit more time to wrangle some of its subtleties. And remember, if you're diving in at random and one of us says something inscrutable, we do have lots of resources to help with that on our website www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you can sign up and get access to all of that content for as little as a dollar. There are also a couple of other places where you can check in with us online. You can visit Mel at tabulamundi.com and you can visit me at tsuzanchang.com. You can also join over 450 smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends at the fortunes wheelhouse academy group on Facebook. As you know, each episode we have a giveaway. Last week, our prize for the second half of our patron readings episode was a choice of one of Mel's decks, and our winner was Chris from New York. Lucky Chris! If you're not Chris, you can still treat yourself to any of Mel's decks, or books, or prints, which are all available at com. This week, our new series begins with the number one. Anyway... Among the major arcana associated with the number one are the Fool and the Magician or Magus. So, for this week's giveaway, we're offering our winner a Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt featuring either the Fool or the Magus from Mel's Tabula Mundi deck. You can, of course, simply buy the t-shirt or any of our other merchandise at www.redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. Finally, a word about sound quality on this episode. We recorded over Skype and I think I was having some technical issues with my mic cable. Mel sounds fine, fortunately, but I've lost all the treble from my side of the recording and there's this weird clicking noise. So if I sound kind of dopey and stone like Deputy Dog, that's why. Bear with me for this episode and the next and Hopefully, I'll have things sorted out by the time we record Numeric Episode 3. Thanks, guys. And now, here's this week's episode.
1: Uh. The
2: day begins, a man wakes up, makes up his mind, today he won't grind, today he'll shine, to hide to scrape the ground, to fly to face the clouds, no spinning earth allowed, still grounded, get astounded, no following the crowd, only leaps and bounds, when you calling for the crown, calling for the crown, when you calling for the crown, calling for the crown, when you calling for the crown, calling for the crown.
1: Okay, hello, everybody. We are back. And for our next series in this season, Fortune's Wheelhouse is going to be doing 10 numeric episodes, going from one to 10, which, um, as we were just discussing off air is challenging. I don't know about you. But I mean, I've sort of been preparing on and off for a few days. And I, I keep thinking, I wish we could do this in 10 years when I'm smarter or like, Get a brain transplant or a couple doctorates or something. (laughs) Especially when you start with one, which is literally everything and nothing. You know, it's sort of like you get into areas of math and philosophy and religion that I feel a little bit out of my depth, to be
2: honest. Yeah. I know we were just talking about we should have started at ten and worked our way up to to deity, God. <laughs> but what can you do?
1: We'll make it through the first few numbers before we probably will have to take a little bit of a break in January to finish up the Fortune's Wheelhouse book. But then we'll pick up. Okay, so this is officially episode number one of the numeric series. Uh, which means that we'll be dealing with, of course, the four aces of tarot among the minors. Uh, We'll be dealing with majors that are numbered one or reducing to one. So I guess that means the magician and the wheel of fortune.
2: Also, we should include the fool because you can't Mm. really talk about one, especially Kabbalistically, without talking about zero, at least a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, you really can't. And there isn't any other place to talk about the fool, so... So I guess we kind of have to. And um, yeah, speaking of cabalistically, we'll also be talking about the first Sephira, Keter, which of course connects to the fool and the magician, or Magus, as well as the high priestess. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Well, except,
2: you know, for court cards, mm. the princesses mm. go with 10, but they also go with one. So mm. there's there's kind of that, the princess and ace thing right, because that we could the, touch the, on and then maybe the do the them of the officially princess. with the tens or something.
1: Yeah. All right. So I guess here we go. Uh, <laughs> we have kind of an outline. Um, so I guess we'll just sort of dive right in with trying to talk about the one. One thing that I thought might be kind of interesting to look at is the idea of the symbol of one as the point within the circle. And, mm-hmm. uh, I saw a really good description of how that graphic works. I think it was in the magician's companion by Bill Whitcomb, where you kind of can think of it as the infinite void becoming aware of itself. Cause we'll be talking a lot about awareness and non-awareness in this episode. So the, the infinite void expands to create a space which is not itself. And that's, that's the circle. And then it contracts to fill that space with itself. And that's the point within the circle. And that causes it to become everything and nothing, which is that graphic of the point within the circle, which we also use to mean the sun. Um, And yeah, in that, general, we often use it for totality.
2: That symbol is really interesting because like, I've also seen it described as the egg and the serpent. So mm. the, the, the point in the center being the egg and the uh, circle around it being the or Boros the serpent in coiling the egg, which kind of is a neat thing because it has a lot to do with creation and, and and then the symbol itself is the symbol for the sun, which is one of the cards that reduces to one. It also looks like an axle and a wheel, which the wheel is another one of the uh, cards that reduces to one. And um, then you could also think of it as the sun with Mercury orbiting it. and we've got the Magus, which is the card that is the one. So it's kind of neat that that one symbol really speaks to all three of those cards that are are one cards.
1: I think there is this idea of unfolding uh, from the point in this figure. And the Pythagoreans called this the monad, the idea of the absolute. So that point within the confinement of the circle is supposed to contain everything that will come later. So when we're talking about everything and nothing, what we mean is that like uh, within this sort of like compact package, the everything is contained. And we see that both in Kabbalah and in the um, expansion of that point into whether it's the swastika or the uh, the equal armed cross That brings us from everything as the source to everything as the product, the Earth itself. There's a lot to dive into here.
2: I was looking at this, you know, sacred geometry series that talks about the creation of the universe in terms of, you know, Genesis. Mm -hmm. So it starts out, like you said, with nothing, chaos, Mm -hmm. And somewhere in that, the point is supposed to be, you know, like you can imagine either blackness or you can imagine, you know, like a snow on a TV screen. Mm-hmm. It's just chaos. And then at some point, awareness crystallizes into a point, which you can imagine like an eye suddenly in that chaos opening up and becoming aware.
1: Yeah. I think that in all of these stories, all of these cosmogonies, we always have that sort of moment of transition from chaos void and lack of awareness to something right to awareness of and and i guess because we have a, a great deal of difficulty conceptualizing what that nothingness might be in some models we have you know various stages of nothingness to get us closer <laughs> to that point so like the three veils of the tree of life ein Einsoff, and Einsoff, or well it was um this
2: to continue that, that geometry thing, how you start with that, you know, that awareness, that point in the center. And then it described it as being the, like a compass. So, you know, the point of the compass is that center. And then it defines an area around itself,
0: mm-hmm. making
2: the circle. And you have the, the point in the circle. So it, it described creation as the, this like either three or four fold series of geometries where the first step had to do with the ratio between one and pi or the circle and you know its diameter Mm -hmm. so but then that point it said so you know by defining this circle around itself it was really defining a sphere around itself but in two dimensions it looks like a Mm -hmm. circle point yes point in a circle but that eye is basically shooting out beams of awareness like forward backward up, down, you know, left, right, all the four directions, and above and below, so these like six points of awareness, and it defines this this circle around itself of I guess you would call it consciousness. If you looked at it in two dimensions, what it that it ends up looking like is a circle with a point divided into four, like the symbol of Malkut. That was the stage of, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's like the definition of the world, the awareness trying to define itself, yes. something like that. Yeah. And then it, it goes that- on to say, you know, the world's brought into order and that's that division into that, what looks like the Malkut symbol. um But it's really not two dimensional. It's really has the other dimension of above and below, just like the of space. Basically, the other stages are... So the first one was the, the ratio between one and pi, and that was the circular thing. And then there was the ratio between one and the square root of two. And supposedly in that stage, you know, that corresponds to Genesis where God divided the world into light and darkness, into, you know, above and below the firmament and the waters. And when you look at the sacred geometry image of that stage, it the square that's within the circle, if then a circle is drawn within that, square that's inside of the outer circle that new circle has the area that is is exactly half of the area of the original circle so that supposedly corresponds to the division into equal parts of you know light and darkness above and below etc etc then the, the next stage is the ratio of one to the square root of three and in that stage the um the circle inside of the other circle that's inside of the square, um, it has a two triangles like the star of David, you know the mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. and that stage is uh where the hexagram, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's the uh, like the the final stage where. The waters are in one place and the dry land appears in in, uh, Mm -hmm. Genesis story. Anyway, I thought it was really interesting just to see it visually as geometry, this story.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. Do you have a source where people can see that or look it up? uh, I do. It's a book called How the World
2: is Made, The Story of Creation According to Sacred Geometry by John Mitchell with Alan Brown. Mm. And it's a really... Beautiful book because it's got, you know, all these sacred geometry illustrations in it, beautifully done and colored, and it's a cool book. But that same story of of Genesis as being a a story of geometry, it goes back to Plato, you know, uh, the Timaeus. So it's an old concept.
1: You know, some of the concepts we'll be talking about in this episode about the one have to do with, you know, the difference between the manifest and the non-manifest, that which is happening within time and that which is outside of time, and also uh, that which can be known and that which is unknowable. But I think that all of these kind of tie back to this central concept of the universe as awareness, the universe as mind, the idea that without consciousness, there is no universe, which, you know, seems like a very broad and obvious statement but when you think about it that is something that we resist as human beings the idea that the universe is conscious and yet it is the basis of every religious system the idea that there is awareness that's uh, that's a single mind across all living things the
2: idea of one is all and all is one
1: right and that the the idea that we're all fundamentally connected which we lose in the materialist era, uh, which is useful to remember when we're trying to do, whether it's divination or magic or any kind of work that goes beyond physical causes. One thing I thought would be kind of interesting to think of in terms of that, and we'll talk about it more when we get to two, I suppose, is the principle of non-dualism. You know, there's this idea in the Philosophy of meditation that you go from kind of normal awareness, which is inherently dual, to pure awareness, which is inherently non dual. So, normal awareness, meditative awareness, pure awareness, kind of those three steps. And, you know, I think when we get to two, we'll talk about the idea of the observer and the observed. You know, they're always a watcher and something that is watched. But here, that separation doesn't exist. Uh, it's self-aware, but not separate.
2: One is obviously, by definition, it's unique. But um, <laughs> that's a, that's a joke. Uh, there's actually there's actually another funny joke. The it's kind of like a Greek philosopher joke where there's two classes of numbers and one and all the rest. Uh, <laughs> because I mean, it's interesting because every number builds from one. You know, adding yeah. plus one the next number arises out of it, but it's not just through addition. It's also through division because if you take one and divide it, you get two. If you take, you know, one of those pieces and divide it, you get three and then the other one you get four and et cetera. So it's, it's either through addition or through division, but either way it's, it's based on ones.
1: Yeah. And in a way this is like the hardest number to get a hold of, Literally, if -hmm. you look at um, the Nabal's arrangement, Crowley's idea of the unfolding of the tree of life, uh, you know, he he kind of talks about Keter, and Bina as all variations on the point itself. Like Keter is the point, positive yet indefinable.
2: Yeah, undefinable. And that's interesting because, so if you go back to that symbol of the dot within the circle, that can also you can also think of that as the axis of the world or it, yeah. it, but if you think of the idea of an axis of of anything like use the earth for an example the earth is revolving around this central point but it's mm. undefinable because that point is the earth is also revolving so that mm-hmm. point is not a constant it's it's right. It's the unmoving right. center, but it's also moving. But it's also so moving. So it can't be defined. <laughs> it's, it's dimensionless.
1: Yes. And actually, this sort of sequence of the positive yet indefinable point, and then the next one is the point distinguishable from one other, and the next one is the point defined by relation to two others. That's something that's related to his concept of zero as well, the The three veils, zero absolute, mm-hmm. zero is undefinable, zero is basis of possible vibration. You know, it's sort of just the attempt to conceptualize nothing turning into something. But I think what you're saying about the unmoved mover, that's really interesting, too, because the concept of Ketter, of course, is related to the prima mobile. So so while the lower spheres are connected with the seven traditional planets, up here among the supernals, we have, you know, this outermost concentric sphere in the concentric Ptolemaic model is supposed to be occupied by prima mobile, which is that which gives motion to everything else. It's not a particular body. It's the concept of motion. Right. Which is, motion yeah. itself. That comes from the notion that our predecessors had, the belief in apparent motion. So the idea that, you know, sun goes around the earth, moon goes around the earth, etc. Et right. Cetera.
2: That point is the point of the one or the, or Keter, or is not, I guess it's not motion itself, but it's the point from which motion is measured. Well, Because in order to have motion, you have to have a something to relate it to.
1: You have to have something to relate it to, and... You know, they really puzzled as to how motion was generated in the first place, if it was from the mind of God or from the first swirlings of inchoate matter. But I think when you talk about the idea that the point within the center cannot be located absolutely, I think that is a more, you know, modernized way of thinking about that first motion. You know, the idea that it's not located in some, you know, outer shell of the walnut kind of thing, but that it's everywhere and nowhere.
2: The other thing that's kind mm-hmm. of neat and unique about one is, well, technically it's considered an odd number. Mm-hmm. You know, there's odd numbers and even numbers. One is unique in the sense that the uh, Pythagoreans considered it both masculine and feminine, unlike any of the other um odd numbers because it had the power to make an odd number even and an even number odd yes if you add it to anything it produces its opposite so they considered it androgynous
1: yeah Um, and that makes a lot of sense when you consider that it is the source for everything else mm -hmm. Um, not on either side of of force or form it's middle pillar
2: if I remember right, I remember reading that they didn't see one as a number. It was the seed or the generator of all numbers. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting in when we consider that in relationship to the aces. You know, they're it's not that, the element. They're the seed of the element or the root exactly. of the element.
1: It's where everything comes from, but without being necessarily manifest itself. Yeah. Yeah. Energy without form. I, I don't remember who I'm quoting when I say that, but it's the same idea. You know, that idea of the constant, but
2: you know, dimensionless fixed point at the center and and the symbol of the point in the circle will be, you know, really familiar to Thelemites
1: with the idea of Hadith and Nui. I'd like to kind of tie it a little bit more closely to the tree of life model since that's gonna be basic to the way we discuss the cards. The model that we use, the Golden Dawn model and Crowley's model, you know, has the Prima Mobile as associated with Ketter, but I've also seen folks trying to tie it into the modern scheme of astrological rulership. I've I've seen Ketter as Neptune, for example, which Yeah. is interesting. I I, I- could not bring myself to use that. <laughs>
2: I do not see that Keter as Neptune in it's many ways, but, but but what I have noticed is that the outer planets are almost interchangeable between the top three, you know, Sephiro, because you know they contain their contradictions within themselves. So I don't think that the outer planets can be assigned and pinned in the same way.
1: I don't think to so either.
2: Upper Sephiro than uh, the lower. It's it's very different. They're not definable in that way.
1: And I think in general, I understand the impulse. We actually had a good question from a listener this week asking about what about Uranus, Neptune, Pluto? You know, I understand the impulse to use those outer planets and try and integrate them into the magical models we have. However, we've had like 2,000 years of, of magical history that revolves around the seven classical
2: right. planets.
0: The two I think at one time five.
2: Neptune was assigned to Keter because it was the outermost known planet. Well, now Pluto is the outermost known planet. And if it's you know, you could make an argument <laughs> for Uranus being Keter because of the yes. airy association and the fool, you could make an association with Uranus being dot because of its kind of like explosive exactly. and I've unexpected and unknown nature nature. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of arguments, but it's too fluid, and I don't think it works.
1: <laughs> I don't think it works either. And you see it actually quite a bit in the newer tarot uh, major arcana. Sometimes you'll see people try and assign the outer mm. planets also to the majors. You know, so for example, I think Uranus. anything with
2: anything above the abyss, you can't pin a planet to it. It's cause, because because it's can't. so contradictory, and there's there's just no definite attributions of in that same sense, except for Bina being Saturn the one exception.
1: Yeah. yeah. So Keter itself, of course, means crown. And that's a very stable definition. There's not much shading to it. And it's interesting that Keter and Malkut, the the top and bottom sphere of the tree, are the two words that are simply objects. Everything else is an abstract concept, you know, wisdom, glory, splendor, understanding. They all are taken as uh, attributes of God from a particular scriptural verse, but the crown and the kingdom are separate and different.
2: Yeah. And there's that connection they have with each other. Like one of the things that I noticed when I was going through the correspondences is that the archangel for Keter, Metatron is the same as for Malkut. And that's the only case where that happens.
1: I noticed that as well. It is really interesting. And, um, Keter, of course, it's interesting because it has that relationship with Chokmah where they are both correspond to the Yod, the first letter of the divine name, but Keter only has the topmost or the tip of the Yod, whereas Mm. Chokmah has the rest of it. And
2: And we talked about this once in another episode, but that if you took the Yod and made it a three dimensional object and rotated it so you're looking down at the tip, you get the point in point in the circle. Exactly.
1: Yep. It also is interesting because, you know, the tip of the yode refers back to that idea of contraction, the idea that the divine had to contract to make space for itself to unfold. You know, this sort of action of chaos turning into something always involves expansion and contraction first. Uh, the idea of tzimtzum, which we see in both Hermetic and Lurianic Kabbalah, the idea that uh, the divine is too almighty, too too great to permit room for anything else so it has to make itself like a little bit smaller and that's the idea of the point mm. yeah i've also seen and i can't remember where i ran across this that if you think about keter hakhma bina you can think of that as the source the current and the sea so the source in the in the idea the idea that you know um all things must mm-hmm. come from some place but the current is hakhma as directionality right right as force Mm-hmm, as force, and then the sea is the container of what that force produces, right? Or form, or yeah. form. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. So Keter is also known as the long face, the long countenance, or Macroprosopus. Um,
2: oh, it's got so many cool titles. It's uh, yeah, they're yeah. all like Zen koans. Yeah, the the existence of existences. The concealed of the concealed, the ancient of ancients, (laughs) the ancient of days, the smooth point, the primordial point, the most high, the vast countenance, the head which is not. (laughs) 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 Which that's interesting because if you think about, it's not the head. Keter is not the head. It's the crown. It's the it's above the head. If you're looking at the Adam Kadmon, uh, Hokma and Binah are the two sides of the head header is above the head
1: that's right there's something that is um, not mappable
2: about it right the inscrutable height
1: (laughs) right those references to the bearded long face um, have to do with this well, it's a medieval Kabbalistic idea that the Hermeticists picked up on the idea that by kind of anthropomorphizing the sephirot you can conceive of them as helping each other to restore the fallen world of the kliphot, the shards of the tree of life. So for that reason, the um, the long countenance, the arich anpin or the macroprosophis is sometimes also known as infinite patience. Keter can be known as infinite patience because it has to do with like this Endless, timeless process of restoring the tree. Mm. Also, and the
2: fact that the, mm-hmm. the, the the symbol is that bearded head, yeah. it's always in profile, which is interesting because you only see the right side of yes. that bearded face and the left side of the face is in darkness mm-hmm. because that's the, the side that faces the three veils of right. the negative existence that we can know nothing about nothing about nothing about nothing
0: (laughs) yeah but it always made me wonder
2: so we see that bearded face in profile and we don't see the other side of the face and then when you get to hokma it's also a bearded face but it's seen Mm -hmm. front on right and that's where you know keter divides into its masculine half Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that makes me wonder is the dark side that we can't see is that a feminine side or or not I wonder. Yeah, it
1: does make you wonder. Now, these, because it's androgynous. What you're androgic. talking about by the, the bearded face and profile, that's the magical image of Keter. Is and the dark we, side of the moon female? <laughs> yes, yes. Do we know where the magical images of the Sephirot originate? I don't. I mean, I think it's a hermetic Kabbalah thing. I think it's probably a 19th century thing, but I'm not 100% sure. So I'd I'd love to hear from anyone who actually knows that. But maybe while we're at it, we can talk about some of the other hermetic attributes of the Sephira, you know, the virtue and vice, the vision, weapon, those sorts of things. All that stuff. All that stuff. I mean, there are actually so many correspondences and we, you know, we're not going to hit them all, but we can kind of do the greatest hits.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We'd be here all day if we tried to do all of those and all the cards.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Which
2: actually, if you're starting with one, it's all the cards. So it's we, all we can't cards. go there.
1: <laughs> oh, by the way, so for the listener's benefit, if you would like to see all the correspondences, I found a website where you can look them up for fun. It's uh, org, And if you just search on their site for each in intern, you'll see all of the uh, correspondences, as well as the cards associated with them.
2: Oh, speaking of all the cards, you know, mm-hmm. when you look at that point inside a circle, even mm-hmm. though it's round, it kind of reminds you of a die, you know, it does. a dot on a on the face of a die. Did you know that there are 21 combinations to a pair of dice? So that's kind of perfect, right? Cool. And then there's 21 actual dots on a single die. And if, oh, and shit, if you really? add <laughs> and if you add up one through twenty one the digits, it adds to seventy eight.
1: Of course it does. Wow. So, that's yeah, crazy. So, that's anyway, crazy. I, I did thought that was kinda kinda of, kind of cool. Yeah, that's that's wild. So the virtue and well there is no vice and there culture.
2: is no vice for keter for <laughs> or Hokmah. I guess they're above vices. Uh,
1: I've I've seen some people attribute a vice to Hokma, but it's it's um disputed.
2: Yeah. Anyway, the virtue is the completion of the great work or attainment, ultimate the ultimate attainment, I guess. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and the vision is union with God. Yes. Union with the divine.
2: Whereas the zero, the vision is the supreme attainment, because I guess, you know, obviously yeah. you can't go any... <laughs> <laughs> Further than
1: zero. <laughs> Do not pass go. <laughs> right. I think Crowley has the weapon as the crown.
2: Crown. I've seen. I've seen a couple different things. So I've seen the crown. I've seen the swastika, and I've seen reference to the lamp as well. The idea. Yeah, that's of something the light. that.
1: Israel Regardy did after yep. he kind of expanded the Golden Dawn correspondences. Israel Regardy came up with the idea of the lamp as the weapon of Keter, meaning the spiritual light or real self. Those concepts are so hard to get a get a grasp of, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there's this idea that you know the lamp itself can be kind of a metaphor for this idea of the universe attaining awareness of itself, right?
2: Let there be light, the creation, and light. all
1: that. Exactly. Exactly. And then the God name associated with Keter is Eheya, which is um, mm, spelled... I Ale- am. Yeah, aleph Hey yod he And you know, what's really interesting is that sometimes it's translated as I am, and sometimes it's translated as I will be. So the Yes, the, I've seen that as well. The phrase I am that I am is... I've seen it as I
2: become also, which is similar to right. I will
1: be. And the reason that... You get those two translations. I actually went down a little wormhole again. Is that in classical Hebrew, it's based on what they call aspect rather than tense. So we have tense, grammatical tenses like future, past, present, but aspect is continuing versus finished. So what is known as the imperfect aspect, meaning the not finished aspect, is what aheya is in. So it means that it's continuing. It's not only that it's that it is but that it's going to be or yes. that it was and it still is and it's going to be and that's a really important concept actually um and it kind of makes sense that i am or i will be is right at the top of the tree because when we talk about creation on the tree of life i think a really fundamental principle is not that it's something that is created and therefore done but that it's constantly unfolding. Creation is an ongoing process. It is itself in an imperfect aspect. Without beginning and without end. Yeah, without end. And it's sort of like that is the nature of something that's a seed. It's unfolding, but it doesn't die because when it comes to the end of one cycle, it simply starts another.
2: Right. Yeah, that idea of the one as a seed and the rest of the numbers as a tree. You know, the oak and the acorn and that contains another oak, that contains more acorns, that contains more oaks, that yeah, contains more
1: acorns. It's a real chicken and egg problem, which I think this. is, you know, why why we have such difficulty getting from zero to one conceptually, because okay. it shouldn't be just basically one to one to one to one. You know, it should be like just itself repeating endlessly, both forward and back in time. So, you know,
2: going back yeah. to the hey. When, mm-hmm. you know, the Aleph, Hay Yod, hay it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Tetragrammaton, how it has yeah. two Hays in those two positions, and yeah. it's kind of a fourfold name. And it, it was making me think about how when they talk about the idea of divinity or God or unity, it's usually divided either threefold or fourfold. Mm-hmm. And so you think of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, there's a fourth that isn't usually talked about, and that's the Destroyer. And you know, then then there's some that try to relate the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost to the Supernals, which would make the Destroyer Daat, right? I guess. Right. But really, I think the better way to to do, instead of putting Father, Son, Holy Ghost in the Supernals, it would be more Father would be keter, Son would be Tiferet, Gee's Holy Ghost would probably be esode and the destroyer <laughs> yes recruit, i think i've right? actually
1: seen that yeah i've seen yeah. It up that way one other concept i'd like to introduce is the four worlds concept while we're at it just because yeah because you know, um
2: keter is all alone up there in Atziluth, isn't it <laughs> well
1: it can be although you know the you one and at, ol-
2: the one and only usually absolutely
1: you can also see the supernals as Atziluth. that i think wang has it like that in her medic kabbalah you should
2: um you should play for, for the music, one is the loneliest number.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah, and absolute literally just means nearness, which is interesting, like proximity, right? Whereas uh, the other ones, bria, yatsira, atsia, asia, they're all forms of creation. Like, bria is like, that which is created, uh, yetzirah is that which is formed, and Asiya is that which is made. I mean, these are approximate translations, but Atzilut is just like nearness. It's like sort of there, <laughs> right? It's not. It's not made of anything, or it's not. Nobody had a hand in forming this thing by proximity. I guess we mean proximity to the source, proximity to the divine, and you can never get there, which is why you're only ever near it. Right. The colors of Keter <laughs> are. Funny because they're not really colors until you get to a sia.
2: Yeah, so there's the you know the golden dawn scale colors, which are all basically forms of light, I guess. So king scale is brilliance, and then for queen scale and prince scale, it's just they're both white brilliance. So it's basically just brilliance, a little bit more defined with the addition of white, and then uh, it's not. It's not until you get to the princess scale that you you have white flecked gold which is um you know gold is supposedly an indication of the connection with tiferet and the holy guardian angel and the sun and tiferet as being the highest that man can really achieve
1: yeah and i and i think you know when they say brilliance i think what we're trying to get at is that This is not something that you can really perceive with your human eyes. Right. It's (laughs) not color.
2: It's a colorless luminosity. Right. It's not white. Although white
1: is our best approximation for it, which is why when you see the briotic representation of the sephirot in the traditional colors, Keter always looks like white. But it's really
2: concealed light is what it is, which kind of makes me think of the priestess card that connects to the path, the idea of something being concealed and what's being concealed is the, the, the light, the Holy of Holies. Yeah. You know, Cause the... you
1: can't see it.
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yeah. And also I think that idea of concealment, the concealed of this concealed it's, it's everywhere. Um, but also that ancient bearded face and profile, you know, we can't see one side of it and that's another expression of the same thing. Mm. Now, one thing I'm just going to mention for, for future is that there is a system that associates notes with the ten, uh, sephirot and those notes are based on color. So once right. we get down to to binah and the colors below that, we'll be able to have actual notes. But but here, there's a dog but here whistle. above the, <laughs> yeah, there's like nothing. There's like, you know, the right. sound of the si- creation. The sound of silence. Yes. The sound of silence. Yeah. Uh, some people say it's silence. Um, some people say it's the lost chord, which is this hilarious 19th century construct, uh, that had to do with a song that this composer wrote, which was extremely popular actually probably in early 20th century anyway so you know this idea that there's this this sound that that is Beneath the um, instead of a dog whistle, it's the god whistle. (laughs) The god whistle. Oh my god, that's hilarious! (laughs) Uh, Hey, isn't there like in in Terry Pratchett one of his books about death? There is a chord that death can play because death is like a rock star guitarist. That That, that sounds familiar. uh, Yeah, a a chord that death plays that basically unmakes the universe. (laughs) Something like that. Anyway, that seems like it would be appropriate for Ketter. So maybe we should talk a little bit about tarot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so do you wanna do like majors by number or do you wanna do majors by Sephira?
2: Majors by number, I guess. And okay, then and then, number, yeah. then we'll talk about paths that come out of Yeah, okay. Yeah,
1: let's do that. <laughs> so um, I mean, yeah. So I mean made we're gonna talk about the magus in both of them. So so we've got fool. Because where else are we going to talk about the fool? And we've got Magus or Magician, and we've got Wheel of Fortune. And the sun. And the sun! I forgot to write the sun. Duh. I'll circle in the dot. Circle in the dot, of course. Here's
2: 19, uh, in case them. anyone's yes, wondering, reduces 1 plus 9. Yeah. 10. Uh, yeah. 1 plus 0 yeah. equals 1. So it's yeah. all about 1 and 0, binary numbers.
1: Uh, that's, that's really interesting because... I think one way to think about the numbers, the ordinal numbers of the the majors, which are in some sense kind of arbitrary, but they've kind of been codified over time, is to see, you know, there are different representations of what the energy of the source, you know, in The Fool, The Fool, of course, is like the essence of traveling from the source to the non-source, from the known to the unknown, from the world that is beyond comprehension to something that is within comprehension, and of course, the fool himself is defined by not comprehending anything. <laughs> yes. So, um, that is that is what the fool means.
2: So that. Oh, this of... is a little bit of a di- digression, yeah. but when we were talking about numbers themselves as shapes and stuff, the only shapes that you can draw with one line are the circle Mm -hmm. obviously and the lemniscuit or circle or oval i guess it doesn't have to be perfectly round Yeah. but uh and the lemniscuit which is interesting that's one one line line. you ever see the mobius trick where you make a a strip a mobius strip on paper and if you take your pencil and you start in one point and you follow it all the way you'll connect back but yeah. then, when you take it apart, your your line is on both sides of the paper. Oh,
0: uh, yeah, that's cool. I have. Yeah, it's pretty to trippy.
1: Okay, yeah. now, like everybody pauses their podcast and gets a strip of paper. Right. <laughs> so, um,
2: but that's cool because that's you know that's one of the symbols that we
1: see on the the Magus mm-hmm. card. It is the it is. form or another. The the Mobius strip. This is interesting. If you look at the Mobius strip and imagine it in three dimensions and look down on it from the top, it might look like a circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, And also, he's, of course, doing the whole as above, so below. So it's sort of like that is a, a flow model for the source energy in a line, uh, the idea that it travels like a current from above to below. Whereas the Wheel of Fortune, our, our cosmic reset button, or <laughs> on button, is kind of a representation of the idea that that source energy is neither lost or gained, it is conserved, you know, it is constantly... Um, being regenerated and renewed. I was looking somewhere uh, down a wormhole last night that the idea in the Orphic tradition, in, in Orphism, the idea of metempsychosis, the reincarnation of the soul, supposedly the eternal soul was supposed to have 10 rounds of being in the mortal body before it got free. So I
2: thought that was kind of interesting. That's kind of interesting. And do they correspond
1: to the (laughs) Sephirot? Who knows? (laughs) But it was interesting that they settled on 10, you know? Right. Yeah. That seemed to me like a very Wheel of Fortune type model.
2: It's interesting to
1: look at those four cards, you know, the the Fool,
2: the Magus, the Wheel, and the Sun as a progression. Yeah. Different ways of saying expressing that one energy
1: yeah yeah and it's interesting especially i think the sun it's because it's it is a source as well but it's Mm -hmm. local (laughs) and it's it's a center yes yeah it's our own star there's something that's a progression from the unrelatable to the relatable from the the Mm -hmm. fool to the Mm -hmm. magician to the wheel to the sun you know it's like we know what the sun is to something concrete that we can kind of grasp and it is in our real world that which is the source of all life.
2: Yeah, and it's the only thing in our universe that comes close to being a perfect expression of pi is the the mm. the view of the sun from Earth. Mm. It's really hard to achieve a perfect circle in mm. reality. Like, you know, the equator is probably on Earth is the closest thing that we can comprehend where then, you know, the... The sun is what we can see. That's the closest thing that's going to be a perfect Mm -hmm. circle.
1: And then we can look at the majors by their connection to Keter, the three majors coming off of Keter. We have um, the fool, which goes from Keter to Chokmah, the magician going from Keter to Bina, and and the um, priestess going from Keter to to Tiferet.
2: Yeah, It kind of makes a symbol of a big arrow, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> it kind of does, pointing up. <laughs>
2: up. <laughs>
1: this way, this way up. <laughs>
2: this way up. In terms of paths, though, you can almost consider like every single path because if you go with the um yeah the path of the serpent that you know touches yeah. every single path that that with the, where the head starts with the fool's path and Keter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, we can't cover all of them. No, that's true. Then there's the lightning path, you know that you Right, could, the zigzag. Mm-hmm. You could you could count those as that's perhaps, true. but we'll just stick with the ones that are that are stuck to ketter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was trying to th- figure out what these three cards the fool the magus and the priestess have in common and i guess the the best i could do was to sort of think of them in relationship to awareness and non-awareness known and unknown Uh, we talked about that with the fool already the uh the idea that he knows nothing but he is the first step in any direction and Hachma itself has sort of ideas of directionality embedded in it. But, you know, sort of like when you take any step from the North Pole, you're now walking in a direction from undefined to defined. Then if you look at the magician going from Keter to Bina, we're going from something that is unknowable to something that is real. I mean, in Bina, we always have concepts of the real that we have to take into account. Something that is formed and, and tangible. That's something we, we really see in all concepts associated with the Magus, the as above, so below, the idea in magic that you're trying to make something unmanifest reflected back into reality. And then with the priestess, you know, from Keter to Tiferet, there is certainly these aspects of what's unknowable referenced all over in the priestess, the idea that there's the hidden scroll, you know, the things that you cannot know and cannot express, the idea that you're crossing the abyss, you know, which is the gulf between the supernals and the lower Sephirot, the gulf between what is expressible and what is not expressible, is a journey that the priestess takes, in a sense. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's done in undercover of darkness (laughs) you
2: can see almost the same thing you just described with those three cards just expressed in their numbers alone
0: Mm. you know
2: the zero the one and the two so the zero as you know all potential both nothing and everything all potential Mm -hmm. the one as unity and then the two as duality or reflection that yeah. connection between what's above the abyss and below the abyss, that reflection of, you know, the divine into the mundane.
1: I think in The Priestess in particular, it's such a profound card because it connects from Keter to Tiferet. And I think because there's this idea that if only we could connect to the source, we would be able to achieve harmony and beauty represented by Tiferet and that the path to doing that is somehow hidden and secret. All right. Um shall we talk about aces? Yeah, why not? Let's talk about aces. I think we talked a little bit about what Crowley said before the idea that it's the seed of everything but mm-hmm. itself not manifest.
2: Right, it's not the element itself, it's the root or seed of the element pre-manifestation.
1: Pre-manifestation. That's one of the reasons that the aces among the numeric miners really are special and different. They're, they're not mapped the way the two through 10 are onto the decans. Um, they're not, they're not specifically related to any kind of astrological material exactly, except for the elements, I guess. We can sort of talk about them as being pinned to the seasons. Um, and we can kind of in the, projection of the tarot onto the globe, we can kind of see them as I think the Golden Dawn likes to talk about them as revolving around the North Pole. But at the same time, that always feels a bit overdetermined to me. I mean, I think they kind of exist outside of these sort of systems that we can name because they are source material.
2: Yeah, they're just like, they're like the fool. It's And it, it, that also highlights this You know, this idea as zero being one and one being zero, you know, Mm -hmm. one really being two and all that.
1: (laughs) And zero also being two. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and I think if you think about the way that this idea of the ace being kind of like a source or an impulse or more of a a desire to... A tendency, I think they call it. A tendency, that's a good way of putting it, than than a thing itself. You can kind of see how that's inflected through Wands, Cups, Swords, Discs. I mean, in the Ace of Wands, I think we think of it as the will to live, you know, the idea that there's a life force that springs up. And then in the Ace of Cups is the impulse towards love, towards sacrifice, towards emotional redemption. Connection, yeah. Connection between the self and everything else. And if the Ace of Wands was natural force, then of course, we always talk about the Ace of Swords as invoked force. To me, it's always interesting to talk about the Ace of Swords because... It kind of comes inherent with ideas of duality in it, you know. It's double-edged,
2: right? If the Ace of Cups is connection, then the Ace of Swords is division in the sense of you know the mind and reason dividing things up into
1: categories. This is the sort of core essential quality of the mind that it that it does this. This is its impulse is to divide, which is a very strange thing to think about in the context of the one. But that's the nature of Swords, and it's why they're in inherently conflictual. And also, I think there's something in terms of the world of Yetzirah and swords, the idea that all of the possibilities and diversity in our real world, the world of Earth, come from that splitting of the sword, the impulse to divide in the Ace of Swords. And then there's an impulse in the Ace of Pentacles towards the real, towards the finite, Mm. you know, towards birth.
2: It's almost like a consolidation again. You know it the is. division and then the reconsolidation
1: in in Earth. Yeah, and in I matter. Often think of the Ace of Pentacles or Discs as being like a clock. It's like you go through the other Aces and they're all non manifest, and then you drop into Asiya in the into the realm of Earth, and the clock starts ticking. <laughs> yeah, I almost want to say the impulse to die. The, mm-hmm. the impulse well, that once has you're born, that's. Yeah, you know? that, that's when it begins. <laughs> You're done for. <laughs> <laughs> yep, the cause of death was birth. All right, so maybe we can talk a little bit, just an overview of what they look, look like in our in our three sets in the Rider Wade Smith and the Thoth and the Tabula Mundi. Yeah, the four aces. aces next to each other. I just wanted to, I mean, we've talked about them quite thoroughly in the Ace episodes themselves, so it's not hugely necessary. But just a quick overview, you know, the only thing I wanted to really say about the Rider-Waite-Smith ones is that they are based, of course, on the Tarot de Marseille images. They're all the right hand um,
2: and that's interesting too. The hand, the idea that they are all these divine hands, which makes you think of the yod again. Yeah, of yod, sure yod hay vav
1: hei, You know, sure does. Yeah, and we can dispute whether they should kind of go left to right, wants to discs, wants to pentacles, or right to left, wants to pentacles, since that's Hebrew order. But one interesting thing to consider about that is that there's real symmetry within those four. There's two that sort of represent the palm side of the hand, the wands and the cups. And there's two that represent kind of the back of the hand, the swords and the pentacles, aces. And then you have ones that are grasping the wands and the swords. And then you have ones that are kind of holding balanced on the hand, uh, the cups and the pentacles. So in all of those, we have basically the different separations of the elements, you know, fire and water are one kind of grouping versus air and earth and then you have another kind of grouping fire and air versus water and earth and they're just different ways of conceptualizing those
2: yeah the idea of the um the i guess you'd call it the active or masculine expressions the wands and swords being grasped mm-hmm. firmly like that whereas the the ace of um, cups and discs the way it's more passively held yes like weighted laying in the hand yeah. Yes, exactly.
1: And also in each of these, there is a representation uh, in some way in Rider-Waite-Smith of this whole Keter-Malkut thing. So for example, in the Ace of Wands, you have the mountain in the background, which is kind of Malkut. And the uh, Ace of Cups, you have the Dove descending, which is in some correspondence systems representative of Keter, spirit descending. And mm-hmm. then Ace of Swords, of course, you've got literally a crown. At the crown. <laughs> and then in the Ace of Pentacles, you've got the mountains out Towards the back, also representative of Malkut. So, in in one way or another, you know, you either have a Keter or a Malkut representation in each of these aces, kind of tying them together symbolically that way. Yeah, the Ace Cups elementary. is the
2: only one without mountains in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is interesting.
2: Except it does have the um, Malkut as I guess you could see that that as disc the in the Earth, dove's mouth, the Earth
1: disc. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if we look at the Thoth ones, you can really see the radiating effect of Keter in each of the first mm. three. And then, of course, we have the Earth one, the disks one, which is just different, right? It's always three and one, where the disks one is solid and contained and not glowing <laughs> like the others.
2: yeah not it doesn't have the same radiating lines yeah and those
1: radiating extending. lines you know remind me of the idea of it, what a crown looks like right it's
2: although in the discs one those i guess you could say those radiating lines are turning in upon itself in mm. a way
1: yeah yeah i can kind of see that
2: that one really looks like a seed or a you know it really does it really looks like something
1: you would plant pine
2: cones and wood grain and all that is in there
1: Yeah, yeah, as well as, you know, Crowley's generative organs. (laughs) (laughs) At the center. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that there's something about the way that Lady Frida did those first three that they each really bleed right out to the margins, you know, like it's almost uncontainable except for the Ace of Discs, although like all her art kind of extends right to the edge, there is this sort of mass that is collected, um, that has boundaries and borders. You know, I didn't actually print out yours, but always in yours, the triangles of the elements, which we can see in Tabula Mundi. And I think you did something proportionally with those triangles to create symmetry.
2: Yeah, they all have this um, geometry of circle and triangle Right. Kind of
1: contained. Right. And because of the triangles represented on those aces, you always have either pointing up or down, this way up or this way down. Right. So again, it's kind of an inherent Keter Malkut reference. Oh, and we were, we said we were going to talk a little bit about um, court cards in the sense that aces are connected to princesses.
2: Yeah. They say the princesses are the thrones of the aces, that idea that what begins in Keter It's, you know, ultimately contained in Malkut or expressed fully in Malkut. And I kind of think of it as the aces as one of the four powers and the princesses as the wielder or the full expression of those
1: powers. Right, Because I think, you know, one thing we can say about this whole unfolding cycle of the ace that we've been talking about is that if the aces are the source and the seed and the root, we know that it's continuing. We know they don't come to an end, but they do have to regenerate somehow. And that's the job and, of the princess.
2: Right. They're the, the, the fruit or the flower. Right. Which makes sense because then that's the thing that regenerates the next set of aces. Right. How next, do you get yeah. from
1: fruit to seed again? Through the princess. Yeah, that yeah. idea. Yeah, or page, as the case may be. Beginner mind. I tried to think about how aces manifest in real life for me and for others, it's kind of hard because, you know, we're talking about so many cards that we've all drawn so many times. I think in the course of reading for others, I always tell people that the ace presents an opportunity. Mm. You know, it's not something that's handed to you that is done and finished, but it's like a window that or a door that you can go through if you seize it.
2: It's not necessarily an, an indication of that something will happen. But like you said, it's an opportunity for a new expression of whichever uh, suit it is.
1: Yeah, it's potential. Yeah. So if you see the, um, I don't know, ace of discs, say, you know, if I see it in a reading, sometimes I'll say, well, you might have an opportunity or a job offer or something that you would be able to do to improve your financial position. But unless you actually act to take it, it's not real. Right, it's not necessarily just going to happen. It's not like winning the lottery and you just get a pile of cash dumped it on you.
2: If you were going to like simplify them down to the the shortest thing you could possibly say, you would probably call the the Ace of Wands creative potential or will potential, and the Ace of Cups, you know, love potential or or connection potential. Right. The Ace of Swords would be you know mind potential, reason potential, new thought potential. Mm-hmm. the ace of Discs would be material potential in exactly. whatever form
1: that's likely to take in your situation yeah. you know each of them has a little bit of a little bit of a different spin to it like the ace of wands in general i think manifests as the big yes a lot of time to any question yeah definitely just because it has it gives you the energy you know to do the thing whatever it is
2: i think all of the aces are almost that in a sense yeah
1: it's interesting but you know what i did try to look up in my own spreadsheet was times when i drew two aces because to me that ought to be a pretty good um, representation of the energy and mm. <laughs> i've gotten i've gotten the ace of cups and the ace of swords twice and on both occasions i went to sleep and i talked a lot both of those things <laughs> in your sleep <laughs> no 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 separately different times but like there was a need for me to like connect with the unconscious, which I thought was a very Ace of Cups thing to do. And then also, at other times, I would be talking a lot. I could see that
2: for the talking a lot, because in order to talk a lot, unless you're talking to yourself, there has to be a connection (laughs) with another.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the Ace of Swords is just, it's chatty like that, you know, it's just there's so much going on up top with the Ace of Swords. You know, I really connect the Ace of Swords with the word the power of the word. But I also got the ace of swords and the ace of discs one time together. And that was a day for ritual and magic. So, you know, it was mm. the combination of the word and the the act, word and the material, right? the, the matter. The material.
2: Yeah. 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 And the I word think that is that is, affecting matter somehow.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what we do in ritual. You know, we bring together the intentionality of the word as and the symbol of the object into something that's Magically efficacious and potent. I thought that was kind of interesting. But I've only gotten that combination once because after all, there are thousand and three pairs that you can get. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will never get them all. Anyway, so um, should we try to summarize this puppy?
2: Oh, geez.
1: <laughs> well, let's just like, I guess there are some themes. Yeah, definitely some themes. We'll just throw a few out there and, and call it done. So uh, the idea of the seed. Yeah, the idea of potential. Yeah, ideas of unity surrounding potential, wholeness, immortality, standing outside time, creation and beginnings. That's right. So, not so standing outside time, but also standing at the beginning of time, conceptions and initiatives, uh, the source. Yeah. Themes of the self, you know, um, the creativity, you know, the creative opportunity, the will. Um, And there's something of the unknowable about it, too. For sure. The unknowable. The not-quite-yet-manifest. The invisible, the (laughs) non-manifest.
2: Yeah. Hey, you know what I thought was kind of funny? In 777, when you're looking at the tables, there's one for the 40 Buddhist meditations, and for Keter, it was indifference. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I is fantastic.
1: That That's fantastic. Yeah, there's a very the dude abides quality to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the idea that it's a continuous unfolding without without beginning, without end. Yeah, the unmoved mover. The primum mobile, the point within the circle, the non-dual. All right, so let's call this done. <laughs> um, yeah,
2: yep. I think so because you know, we have already every card that we've talked about has a whole, you know, our episode exactly associated
1: with it. So. <laughs> if you if you're a glutton for punishment, it's all out there. There's lots yeah. more. Yeah. Okay, so we'll be back next time. If you liked one, there's more where that came from.
0: See you then. And that's our show for today. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you'll also find new episode announcements and loads of extra articles and visuals, which will help you follow along with the show. If you appreciate what Mel and I have done here at fortunes wheelhouse, please consider leaving us a five-star reviewer rating on iTunes, Apple podcasts, or Google play. And if you'd like to support the making of this podcast and gain access to all the member perks that come with that, please consider becoming a patron at any level you like by visiting www.patreon.com fortuneswheelhouse fortunes wheelhouse. You can also explore Fortune's Wheelhouse gear, like t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, and more by checking out our Redbubble shop. That's at www.redbubble.com people slash wheelhouse93, slash shop. Mel's beautiful books, decks, and prints can be found at tarotcart.com. And my book, Tarot Cases, Astrological Perfumes, and Online Tarot Class can be found at tsusanchang.com. Treat yourself to the tarot gift you've always wanted, because you are a hero of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support.